This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's weekly news and talk show, but it's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is Thursday, May 18th, 2023. I'm Jeff O'Neill. And as always, or as most of the time, he, uh, with Rebecca Shinsky, Rebecca was out last week. I've got some beautiful follow-up to you. You missed a couple of stunners, but you're going to get some follow-up this week, Rebecca, about stuff. Uh, oh, I really out. did. Um, let's see. Wonderful. Else interesting coming up. Oh, for the 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 Patreon folks or the people on the fence about Patreon, right after this, um, Rebecca and I are recording next week's members only post or episode that goes up on Patreon. Patreon.com slash podcast will be the link in the show notes. And we're good. it's our 10 years of doing this, Rebecca. 10 years of podcasting. Which that is Yeah. It was your 11-year work anniversary this month as well. Um, I don't know if you actually started May 1st in, the, in, our, in, our, in our employee back yes. and it said May 1st, but I kind of, you know, I'm not sure if it was actually May 1st or in the middle or where. It was, I don't remember either. I think that. Yeah, I think May 1st of 2012 was when I officially became full-time. But I was part-time since the very beginning. Uh, So it's kind of a workiversary, but kind of not. But yeah, Um, May of 2013 is when we started the podcast. (laughs) Um, And in in We Gotta Be Us style, we haven't prepped for that episode, except that I have some stuff I'm going to throw at you. Um, about, you know, the 10 years of podcasting. Perfect. And, you know, Kelly was on last week, and she was great, by the way, for all of you that maybe, you know, because mm-hmm. I am like Kelly's this too. wonderful. Where if my normal people aren't on my shows, sometimes I'm less likely to hit the play button. Um, Kelly was really good. And it was a fun episode to do in the first half. And then mm-hmm. she came on. She, we continued to talk in a, in a broader, specific, in sometimes specific way about the book banning and censorship stuff. And she knows as much. I dare say of anyone, honestly. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe there's someone somewhere. Um, I think that's and we right. We talked about specific legislation and general terms. And I, you know, go go listen to it. I would encourage you. You can mute me for that episode and just listen to Kelly at the end. Um, really good stuff there. But uh, I've got some follow up from the weirdness. I think the the name of that episode is "People Have Lost Their Minds," and we got to continue because you know people don't gain them right away. <laughs> yes. you, can't, you don't shove them back in. They don't. It's hard to you know, pick up the pieces and put them back together if you've yep. just fully lost it already. I lost my mind a little bit just ch- catching up on some of this news in our company Slack mm-hmm. and then knowing for sure that you and Kelly would have talked about it. And I checked the agenda and they I checked the episode. What's, I was like, yep, uh... they got it. But wow. Like the wildest... The wildest things always happen when I'm on vacation. Like, I'm still mad that the story about the quote-unquote oh, new Harper right. Lee novel happened while I was on vacation. I remember where I was for that. I was in the Brooklyn, our old Brooklyn office, and I was sitting next to Jen Northington. Like, we were both in there working that day, and we're, we were like, wait, is this mm-hmm. happening? The whole thing. Um, <laughs> it was incredible. 
Yeah, I was going, I think I was traveling somewhere for work. And I remember listening, being on Amtrak and listening to you and Amanda Nelson talking about it, being like, I cannot believe that I I am not getting to talk about this right now. This is just truly bonkers. But the the bonkers was more of a fun flavor. Yeah, it was fun. So we're going to follow up about um, a couple of things uh, after the uh, break. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Um, the first thing is, this news broke about two hours after Kelly and I finished recording about the secret nonfiction title 4C mm-hmm. from Flatiron, and we did some speculation, and we had even heard some rumors that I think we put on that show that it was going to be BTS, that book, um, that people thought were going to be, it was Taylor mm-hmm. Swift, so just put a B on it, and that's what you got. Instead of TS, you got BTS. Um, from Flatiron, so that's what it was. People are still emailing with guesses. And also, I'll say this, I love that for you that are emailing because you are not enough online to know that this has happened. I'm not, that's not satirical. <laughs> I wish I was with you. I wish I... That's really good. You it's have a healthy to relationship guess. to the internet. Um, but... So it's going to sell. I think, you know, I think Kelly said... I'm not sure why we don't get more... Kelly is also a connoisseur of the celebrity memoir and not in an ironical way. I mean, in a very like serious, like is. this is real no. talk, and um, we talked about that some too. And it feels like there is more opportunity for big memoir releases with massive print runs for international celebrity. And you know, th- there's all kinds of K-pop mm-hmm. groups I know that could benefit and would sell copies. I'm not even sure who else is out there, um, but it was notable that the whole internet assumed it was Taylor Swift and that's some Eurocentric white people stuff, I think. Um where I think globally BTS is yeah. a bigger deal than Taylor Swift. I don't know. I don't I don't know what my Q rating is on that, but that's my sense. Yes. And they're such a big deal that I really have a yes. hard time wrapping my head around it. Like just around the size of a truly mm-hmm. global sensation like that, that comes out of a part of the world that is much more populated than, you know, Western Europe and the United States with a bunch of white people who think that everything is about us. Um, I think it's one of the, it it seems obvious in hindsight of like, of course, (laughs) Uh, but I just consistently can't get my head really around how just truly how big that phenomenon is. The Tumblr start to click into place. We were talking about the $45 price. So it's, it's like a, it's like a token, a souvenir almost of fandom 
in a way like uh, Kelly brought up the Paul McCartney lyrics book. I was like, I thought that was a great comp, right? Um, yeah. A Taylor Swift memoir will sell mm-hmm. at some point. She will do it, though. You could say her music is the ongoing memoir. Um, I hope you're taking cover, John Mayer, from I guess what's coming out pretty soon of things that I've heard. I don't know. I don't know things, but I hear things, Rebecca. <laughs> I don't really understand them, but I do hear them. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of thing where it's like it would be a weird moment. And I don't know in the BTS timeline where they are. Are they launching a new album? Are they going on tour? I haven't followed any of that. So it could be being a little unfair to to try to do a particular Taylor Swift hook to say why this makes sense. But there's something about the flavor of it that this makes more sense to me. I'm sure Taylor Swift could, or Beyonce or some of the other names we kicked out, could put together a title or a, what this is going to look like. I think there's something to the group element versus the single person thing that matters, right? We don't think of it as a group memoir. I don't know how that would even work, though. I think that would be fascinating. Yeah. Um, but this is going to be kind of a coffee table fan book. And, and I mean that in all seriousness and openness. Like, that's an awesome thing. Yeah. I hope it sells a billion copies. And totally at that price point, I would guess it will probably also have like some yeah. beautiful, you know, full page, right. full color inserts of photos of them. Uh, this is like kind mm-hmm. of a pillars of the Garth mm-hmm. flavored That's right. product. And you do new now, you do one now, you can move another <laughs> one in five years. Even right? Garth like, probably you know, you do them in stages, they'll be, they'll be primed to do another one. Right. Yeah. Cause I think you're onto something with the idea that Taylor Swift's music sort of is the, at least right now, is the memoir. Like, it's not the whole story, but it's very personal, very confessional. Yes. And very thinly veiled. You know, most of the time we can pin particular songs to particular people or at least to particular rumors about Taylor Swift. And she's, she will say things like, you know, the album Midnights, every song is about like a particular, yeah. one particular night or one particular late night epiphany or something like that that i would my money is on a late career or like retirement time of life memoir from taylor swift the kind of thing that i wish stevie nicks would write now you know maybe in 30 years we get like the full taylor swift story about the things that were happening when she was on tour and like really who that song was about and all those kinds of things but she's doing i mean she's Mm -hmm. doing it all right now in the in the songs in these big arena tours that you know people are like selling their firstborn to get tickets to it looks like it's going super well um and if you are putting that much of yourself into the music like why redirect it into a book at this point is also a, an interesting question, I think. Um, but I, I mean, I'll be ready for it when Taylor Swift wants to tell all. I love a celebrity memoir, mm. not quite as much as Kelly does. But Kelly is my top of the funnel. If she says the celebrity or musician memoir is really good. I still didn't get a good up. answer in even reading some of the press releases from Flatiron and you know coverage elsewhere of why we're so close. And I, I think Flatiron's hand was forced here um, to reveal this. It doesn't feel like they were going to reveal it mm. till closer to pub date and then we're in, which is in July which I don't really understand you know this is hmm. I, I don't I don't this is where yeah. I'm still far from the publishing industry of, and the comings and goings everyone has their reasons I'm sure there is some reason to do it this way I don't understand what it is because you want to build the hype you want to get those pre-orders up you want to make sure you have enough copies on hand I, it seems like there's right. a lot of uncertainty about how big of a deal this would be and there's, I don't see the upside of not saying that this is a BTS title six months ago, frankly. But I don't get that. If anyone knows, podcast at bookwright.com. Right. Really interesting. This automatically goes to the top of my list of guesses about books that booksellers will have trouble keeping in stock at the holidays. 
Yeah, you can see it would make sense for a hot seller like this that you want to get. Um, it's kind of like having the Wednesday night release for a Marvel movie. You you clear the mechanism of like the real hardcore people, so you have time mm-hmm. for the more casual people to come on board or people giving it as a gift a little bit later. Um, but I yeah, I, I don't know why this isn't in the docket yet because like the Britney Spears thing or the Prince Harry thing, we knew those were coming well ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah. Uh, it's fascinating. I'm sure it's really interesting. maybe there's le- maybe the fandom is so intense. There's leaks and rumors and people trying to get a copy and pirating. Like you could tell me all sorts of things. We may be out of scale with my normal like um, what's it called street date or laydown date kind of mathematics or or um, tradecraft mm-hmm. to go into this. But if anyone knows or has a link, um, podcastofbookwrite.com. I'd love to know what the the second order logistics of something with this huge of a fandom and following um, brings to bear on the whole situation. Um, Speaking of second order effects of fandoms. So Mm -hmm. we talked last week about, and we don't know who this person is, so I just have to keep using their pseudonym, which is, I think, just how they like it. (laughs) I am... You can't even so euphemize it be because it's this. still this euphemized already. But we'll, you can't even say Big week. D. That doesn't help you. That's worse somehow than Big Listicless. <laughs> um, tweeting about um, Amal, Amal El Matar and Max Gladstone's 2019 novella, This Is How You Lose the Time War, that became a phenomenon in the course of a week, um, became the third best selling book on Amazon basically overnight, as far as I can tell. And showed up at number six mm-hmm. on the New York Times bestsellers list, and this so they're selling a lot of copies. But the thing that's happening now is a the think pieces about this are insufferable. Um, what this means for marketing, yes. And I even saw things like this isn't being struck by lightning because it's the convergence of two fandoms because people are like this book and they like this. Like, there's lots of fandoms that have converged. I think you can't read too much of this into it. You can't read too much into this. It's like finding. A thousand dollars on the sidewalk. It's great. People love this, but I I don't see there's any lesson yes. to learn here, Rebecca. There's nothing to learn. Does your sense of this is the same or is it different? I, I don't think there is. It's yeah. I think this is if you're the author of this book or the publisher of it, and you wake up and you see that this has happened, your first thought should not be how can I recreate yeah. this for my next book or all of my other authors. It's right. thank you to the gods of the internet. <laughs> this happens to like four people for their whatever the product is each year and it is sheer luck you can't sign up for it you can't ask for it you can't predict it you like you'd be silly to hope for it because you Mm -hmm. are basically guaranteed to be disappointed this is a gift from the gods of the internet there is there is nothing to learn here like i could imagine i think the worst possible version of trying to learn something from this would be like trying to develop some tool where you identify yeah. other Twitter users whose profiles are yeah. in some way similar <laughs> to this one and then be like, these are the things that made this catch on. And and maybe like when we have you know finally freed ourselves from Twitter and we're 20 years down the line, someone will be able to look back at a bunch of these and identify patterns, you know, looking back like retrospectively. I also kind of doubt that. I think this is serendipity of the highest order and that even... Bigolus Dickolus is probably deeply surprised yeah. about what happened here. I, I, I Maybe more surprised than anyone. His following, or <laughs> the the avatar is a male presenting anime figure, and I'm going by the euphemism. I'm just going to throw some male pronouns on this. Just 
I'm guessing here. I could be wrong. If anyone knows, you can tell me. His following count has gone from, when I first saw this tweet, so I was already later in it. It was like 12-ish thousand, right? 12-ish thousand followers. You have any mm-hmm. guess what it is now? Yeah, you haven't been on Twitter oh, in a long I'm time. This is unfair. 48,000. So no. 36,000 new followers okay. in a week. That, again, that doesn't seem like a lot, but you're quadrupling. And remember, Twitter is a declining asset right now. Like, that's, that's a lot of people in one week. This this would make me... Yeah. This would make me want to crawl into a hole if I were Bigolus Dickolus. Like, you're sharing a book that you love to... You know, some mm-hmm. what you expect to be some small percentage of your twelve thousand followers because of the algorithm, and then you quadruple your followers like basically overnight, and now people are writing stories about you. I think I would be just like, okay, this, it's a ridiculous pseudonym, but it's a pseudonym. This person's real name is not on this Twitter yep. account, and I assume that there are reasons for this, whatever they may be. And so I think I'm in panic mode. I I don't even know. I probably would have locked the account and been like, bye. <laughs> Please don't figure Luckily, out who I am. He's already clothed himself in a shield of avatar and pseudonym. So I don't sure there's. I'm not sure that people are going to go doxing. They're not going to go a doxing, but I, you could imagine different things. I I've read a lot about this, so a couple things I want to to bring up. One is I saw this is a side effect of looking at Twitter a little bit now and again. Not try not to go down the rabbit hole. But publisher, people working in publishing, talking about coming out of sales meetings where they talk about Bigless Dickless and this phenomenon. And I'm like, there's nothing to there's nothing to learn. There's nothing to learn here. There's if anything to be learned is the wrong lesson. So like it's a thing. It's out there in the world of people staring at this and be like, is there anything we can do? Um the second so that's one. I haven't read anything that it compels me to see there's anything that this is how you should be marketing and all the professionals want to have a take. Um, I think the hum, the humility needed to say, boy, I don't know, is pretty tough. And I think this is one of those. But I'm glad to see mm-hmm. that Amal Elmatar signed a deal for four new books last week, <laughs> <laughs> which is fantastic. Yes. Now, Sometimes these turn into careers. This is the kind of thing you become a phenomenon and turn into a career. Um, I guess it's a good time to plug the most recent edition of First Edition that just came out, in which I talked to Colette Hassani about the phenomenon. Mm. I called it the bookography of the Kite Runner. It came out 20 years ago. Um, he was very kind to come on and talk to me for 45 minutes or so. It's in the episode now. It's in the feed now. And his understanding was, you know, the hardcover didn't really sell. It did okay, um, but it was no big thing. He was doing it. There, a couple of nuggets to tease that. He did a reading. I think I told you this story, Rebecca, where he was on tour for the hardback, and he went to a reading mm-hmm. at some bookstore, and there were three people in the audience, um, and one of them was using a walker, and in the middle of the reading, the person with a walker stood up to get to leave. So you, that's, that's not easy for a person with a walker mm-hmm. to get up and leave. They really want to have to leave there. And then when the paperback comes out, um, and he talks a little bit about what his best understanding of what happened was. It became a phenomenon. And his the people, his agent and editor were saying, this doesn't happen. Like, do you realize? He's like, yeah, I, I do get this. It's mm-hmm. But he did make a career out it's of it. Thousand magic. Splendid Sons sold like gangbusters. Um, and the Mountains mm-hmm. Echoes have sold. That book, it's been 10 years since he had anything out. That's a, 
I didn't ask him about that because he was gracious enough to come on. I wasn't trying to put his feet to the fire. He did say a little bit something like he wrote um, The Kite Runner in like 18 months while working a full-time job as a doctor. He's like, that seems incredibly fast to me now, given what I know now. So he's kind of, he's talking a little bit about, you know, the creative process or where he Mm -hmm. is right now. But these things happen. You can't make Kite Runners. You can't make Da Vinci Codes. You cannot do it. You make enough books and every now and again you get something like this. You can't. That's all there is to it. Yeah, the lesson to learn here is just really a reification of every book is a lottery ticket. And, you know, you can't Mm -hmm. win if you don't play. So some, but some of them are going to win. Most of them are going to lose. Some of them are going to win. The only thing you could have done to engineer this is travel back in time and know magically that this Twitter, like this Twitter user on this day was going to hit the algorithm in a particular way that if they recommended your book, it was going to blow up and you can't time travel back. There's, there's nothing to do here. I think that um, I think you're right here that the author is set up to potentially make the kind of career out of mm-hmm. it. Like you're talking about Hosseini and some other authors being able to build on, you can build on the lightning in a bottle if you can then continue to deliver a good product. Because what what this really hinges on is not just that someone recommended a book, but that all these people who have made this book a bestseller, now they have to like it. And it sounds to me, I think there was kind of a cult following around this Mm -hmm. title. I remember hearing a lot of folks talk about really liking it, but it was like, it was book nerds. It was people who, capital B, capital N, book nerds, loved This Is How You Lose the Time War. And if it can break out from there and reach a bunch of new people, which it has, and it's hit the bestseller list again, if it delivers to them, and I think there's a good chance it will because of the reputation this title has, if that author can continue to deliver, then you can build your career on it. If you have something that is just splashy and a bunch of people like it, but it doesn't yeah. stand up once they've read it, they're not going to keep coming back for the future one. So I think it's wise for the publisher here to invest in this author and, you know, follow it up with these book deals. I do think this book is going to deliver on what most of the folks who bought who bought it based yeah. on Bigelis Dickelis's recommendation are looking for. It could be a thing, but if you're an author or a publisher and the the thing you're spending your time doing is trying to figure out how you can locate a Bigelis Dickelis type figure on Twitter and get your book to them and no. step 3 that's, profit. That's not going to happen. I don't think that's <laughs> I don't think that's the best use of it's not going to happen. Yep. This is a gift from the internet. And to treat it like anything that could have been planned or predicted or controlled is to fundamentally misunderstand how the yeah. internet and how these I think there might be a little work. A couple of the edges of this that are interesting to me is it's literary romantic sci-fi, this title. You can see why it might mm-hmm. be underread. Mm-hmm. Now it has a following. I think that's part of it. Like once this tweet happened and there was it yes. became it had a momentum, but then a lot of people were chiming in, I love that book. I don't know why more people aren't talking about it. So it had a bit of a yeah. it had some oxygen, but and I also think there's something that maybe that kind of a title that's on multi generic coming from a different way maybe but but again it had a bunch of Amazon reviews. I read this book a long time ago. I liked it. I know a lot of other people did. It wasn't obscure like you said, in a book nerd kind of a way, I don't know. The more I stare at this, I feel like I, I feel like I get a little tendril in my hand of something to hold on to, and then it just slips away again as as I think about it more and more. So, mm. well, yeah, that the multi genre, especially those three, the, the intersection of those three genres. This is pretty similar to some of the titles yeah. that have gone big and big on feelings. TikTok. Like this is like break um, your heart that, stuff. Like and you know, that's related to something. Yeah. 
and be it like yeah. that makes sense yeah that makes sense but even then if you're trying to learn something from it like if you're sitting down today to be like i guess i'll write a book that is in the venn diagram of these genres and that has big feelings because mm-hmm. that's what the kids on tiktok want you might get a book deal from it because publishers are paying attention today to the trends that are happening today but by the time the book comes out it's not very likely that those will still be the trends like this is the problem i think that social media and any phenomenon like this presents for publishers is it has already been the phenomenon by the time you start chasing it and by the time a book another book comes out that you may that you've purchased based on this today phenomenon something else will be hot by the time that book comes out so it's it's yeah i think just keep buying lottery yep. tickets keep publishing good books that you think can that you reasonably mm-hmm. believe can find an audience with the knowledge that most yep. of them won't and some of um, them will not and, and not big Thickless gets a little bit of his um all the i can't use any analogy or metaphor because they all sound extremely dirty um but <laughs> also get a little geez a piece of the action none of this works but um, there's none of, I'm at a <laughs> loss for works. a metaphor or analogy, which, as you know, for me is very, very rare. Uh, really tells you the the magnitude of the event here. But Bigless Dickless, God, every time I just stop. I'm not a professional today. I, I, this, this <laughs> I'm is so delighted. I'm so glad there's um, follow up. <laughs> that accounts particular kink. I'm, I'm using this in the broadest term. Was basically a. <laughs> a fan account for Trigun, which is a manga by Yashiro um, Naitao, and it's a Western anime. I know nothing about it except what I've read in blurbs. And it was announced, let's see, two days ago that there's going to be a new deluxe hardcover edition of Trigun. Oh, wow. The, I, I can't, it doesn't mention this phenomenon wow. in the text of the press release. But it cannot be a coincidence. It can't be. I just don't believe it. it that would be hard to believe. I'm, oh man, I don't know. Right now, I think I, we've had 10 good years of this and maybe we should retire because I'm never going to be <laughs> 10 years and out on this podcast than I am It's like right Quentin Tarantino, now. 10 movies and you're out. For us, it's 10 years and we're done. Yeah, that's how they do it, right? <laughs> um, so... Turning these into, you know, seeing if there's a little more demand for that title. I, I guess now I know about it. I guess I'm not, a lot, not more likely to pick it up. Mm-hmm. 17 million people saw his original tweet about um, this is how you lose a time war. This, it's just uh, some crazy really stuff. mind-blowing. Um, all right. Let's do another sponsor break. And I got we've got some news, but I've got one other thing I want to throw at you that I didn't prepare you for at all. Congratulations to you. Um, I don't know how seriously to take all the LLM AI writing tool things. There's one going around today that I started watching the, the, the video on Twitter. It's a, from a company called PseudoWrite. And the founder of this company posted a 15-minute long tutorial of how to use PseudoWrite to write your novel. And it went. it's going pretty big. Mostly in whatever the following I'm looking at, people saying, we don't want this, this is terrible, which is fine and to be expected. I'm not even sure that it's wrong, but the takes aren't that interesting. They're fairly predictable. I watched the whole thing this morning, Rebecca, and I don't know why I did, but 
it's really interesting. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, it says, the company says, and the founder says, it was created in collaboration with hundreds of novelists to pre- present a UI to make large, a large language model conducive to writing a novel. So I don't think I'd seen one that's really built to be a novel writing interface. You can use ChatGPT, and I haven't looked at all of them, so if there's other ones out there, forgive mm-hmm. me. This is the one I've seen that's built for the purpose of writing, creating, generating the, the language they use, collaborating with an AI LLM to write a full novel. And here are my three takeaways. One, the technology is wild. It just really is. Where you give a little synopsis, uh-huh. you say what you want it to be about, it then can present you some characters, you fill out some beats that you want it to have, and you can start generating it. And you can decide if you like that. Do you want it to be more florid or more straightforward or faster paced? There's some things you can do. It's really wild what it can do. But the the net effect of it, though, and then you read like the first chapter. So presumably this is as good as it gets because you're going to get your put your best foot forward of like, here's the first chapter or the first half of the first chapter. Here's what it put mm-hmm. out. It's so stultifyingly below average that... I'm not even sure what to say about it. Like if you if if you think this is going to do anything okay. besides flood the market with barely mid novels. Did I use that right? Can someone check me? Is there a fourteen year old around? I don't know. Um I don't know what to tell you. And the gulf between what is writable with an LM and what is interesting to read is the Grand Canyon right now. And if people who read this chapter think, yes, this is going to disrupt mm-hmm. novel writings, now, this doesn't mean it's not going to get better, and I don't know. But the gulf seems so wide that I don't know how you bridge it because it is spitting out the most anodyne, boilerplate stuff. And it just is, this is a very impressive tool, but what it makes is nothing I have any interest in reading, and I can't see it cannibalizing or competing with anyone. Maybe if you are doing, I don't even know what, I could imagine if you like to write fan fiction for yourself or something, maybe, like you're just wanting story and beats and familiar names. I, but even I, I think that's unfair to fan fiction writers. I'm just trying to find a case where this seems so. interesting at all, because it's it can spit out 300 pages of extremely extremely derivative writing. Now, the punctuation is correct, and it's structurally, it makes sense. Not always, but I'll say that. You could read worse self-published things. You could. It's, it could be better than many self-published things. Sure. But I got to tell you, I, I do recommend, if you're interested, I'll watch the video to see how, and then watch what comes out. Because you're, I'm in it, I'm watching like, wow, this is, oh my God, is this, is it Doc Brown finding the flux capacitor? This is, and then it spits it out, I'm like, oh, well. Because mm. it's not even bad enough to be interesting. Like, it doesn't even make interesting mistakes. That you're like, oh, I see if you just tweak this up yeah. or down. It is, there's something, it feels like there's an uncanny mm-hmm. valley that seems well, unfordable to get across. So that's where I am. And I haven't really spent this much time with it before. And I'm hitting you straight. What do you think? Does that make sense? What do you think? That's fascinating. Yeah, it does. I mean, the thing that not just we, but like most 
people who are paying attention to these AI and LLM models right now are talking about yeah. is that it, they are derivative and they spit out, you know, combinations of things that have already been produced. They can't create and they certainly can't yeah. transcend in any way yet. Maybe they will someday, but they don't have yeah. original ideas. I think my biggest question is, who is the actual customer or the actual market for this? Because every writer that I've known, mm -hmm. and I've known a lot of them, <laughs> talk about how you're a writer because you have to be, you know, or in that Rilke sense of if you wake up in the morning and the first thing that you think about is writing and the last thing you think about before you go to bed at the end of the day is writing, you're a writer. And that is as paraphrased yeah. by Sister Mary Clarence in Sister Act 2. But like, do writers, people who think of themselves as writers, who, want, who have stories and characters living in their brains that they have to, that they feel compelled to spend their one wild and precious life sitting down, putting those stories out into the world in some fashion, putting pen to paper, putting your little fingers on the keyboard, mm. I don't believe that like, capital W writers want or need this product because for them, the getting the thing that exists in their brain out into the world is the thing. And just like prompting an AI to create language that is, mm. it sounds like mediocre at best, isn't likely to scratch that itch. So if writers aren't going to use it, then maybe there is an audience like the one you're talking about of people who want to generate their own stories about characters mm -hmm. that they already like, you know, like write me a Hunger Games derivative. And if the if it could create, if the language could be better, maybe that would be satisfying. Like if you wanted to read fan fiction that didn't exist yet, but yeah. you didn't want to write the fan fiction. But that's like a really... Uh, that's a very specific kind of user for a pretty small yeah. slice of the pie, I think. Um, I think this currently falls into the realm of I understand why someone who can create AI technology created a thing like this. Like it seems like maybe it would meet a need, and 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 maybe you're going to follow that and see what you could develop. I understand mm -hmm. pursuing the question. It doesn't sound to me like the answer that they've arrived at here in the form of this product is one that writers are going to want, one that readers who are interested in the craft of language are going to want. And so therefore, like certainly not something that's threatening to yeah. the future of art as all the think pieces about it <laughs> are well, and, and I don't their know. hands on there, there are genres in which I am not an expert, especially when it's like category genre. Um that sometimes the formula is the thing, and that's different than what I want as a reader. So think of the most formulaic genre or mm -hmm. subgenre you can think of. Maybe this competes with some of that? I don't know. I, I don't know. It's been a long time since I read something that was really catering to someone who wants to read 50 of the same things or, or slight variations of. Um, maybe it competes with that. I do think, to to, to also quote a writer, though, there is the um, Anne Lamott of more people want to have written than want to write. And I think people might see this as, you know, I had this mm -hmm. idea for a novel and I just never got around to writing it because writing is hard and you have to sit there and do it. And it's very difficult. And most of the time in my experience and the experience of others, it's very uncomfortable and frustrating and you got to do the thing. It's work. Let's put it that way. It's work. 
And yes, the dream work. here of the people that haven't written is, can I skip the work part, right? Is there a way to skip most, if not all, of the work part? Mm-hmm. And I don't see that that's true right now. Because here's the thing, everyone else is going to have the access to the same tool, yeah. right? So, and we ta- I've used this phrase before, and I think it matters. I'm looking for special books, and the books people remember are special books. Kind of by its nature at mm-hmm. this point, and I do want to put that caveat, I am not an expert in this technology. I don't know what's possible in the future, you know, what we're on the cusp of, you know, I don't know. But by its nature of looking at huge data sets of language and basically trying to figure out the most likely thing, you get the lowest common denominator. Yeah, well, even just to go back to talking about like, not yeah. necessarily the biggest dickless phenomenon, but you were saying like, you can't engineer a Da Vinci no. code, you can't engineer any of these big things. Stuff that breaks out that way usually breaks out yeah. because it's doing something new right. or it's doing an old thing in a new way. And that is what AI can't currently do. Like I'm, I'm in the middle of working on an essay mm. about the Station Eleven adaptation, and I'm so I'm spending a lot of time thinking about the one scene that like you and I talked about. Everybody who loved the show has talked about where a character like gets up and like spontaneously starts rapping a Tribe Called Quest song in this very surprising moment that is like one of the most transcendent experiences I've had with any piece of art in any medium. AI can't come up with that idea yet. That still requires a human to be like, what if he did this in this moment? Because that kind of moment hadn't happened anywhere else. Like you couldn't have plugged in to this machine, write me an episode of a TV series that's about a pandemic and people Mm -hmm. are sitting around a dining table. Like you would, I I imagine, get very stultified kinds of dialogue you're not going to get a machine being like Mm -hmm. oh and the thing that should happen here is he should he should jump up and everyone should be surprised and then he should rap and like i think if or when we see a model a piece of technology that can generate a creative idea that's when i will be open to the ai is coming for your novels ai is coming for the writer's jobs kind of piece like i I can see i've been playing around with chat gpt enough to know like i can see places Mm -hmm. where ai is coming Mm -hmm. for elements of work certainly or for particular kinds of jobs i think that's correct and very real and that we're all going to have to learn how to use it effectively you know, to different degrees in our different industries, but yeah, it cannot create, it can't generate something new. And much of art, if that's what we're looking for in literature, is about something new, is about reading a sentence you've never read before, hearing a story you have not heard before, having someone express an old idea yeah. in a new way. And it's that new way part. Yeah, that and, AI and I don't get. know if, and it's interesting to think about my, I had such a strong feeling that I don't think I've ever had before of like recognizing the hollowness of what it spit out. Like it just felt... Now, maybe because mm. I maybe I'm biased against it, I'm sure that I'm coming in with all my Kahneman and Tversky. Like who knows what my biases are? I mean, it's probably multiple intersecting to perform emergent <laughs> properties. If I had just been given this as a novel with a name on it that looked like a traditional published book, I probably would have had the same feeling of hollowness. I would have had the same feeling of this is totally uninteresting to me. But because I saw what went into it and how formulaic it was, and that it it's a very 
elegant, fast, polished, nothing. Just, it's like, it's like biting into a donut and there's no taste. It looks like a donut, kind of feels like a donut, but it doesn't taste at all like a donut. <laughs> it's like the Soylent, yeah, it's the Silicon Valley Soylent Green, like drink this smoothie or take this pill so you don't have to eat lunch. Like, well, it's kind of the opposite of that, I guess, where it's you like- You didn't have a meal. You don't get the nutrients, you get the the form and appearance of, mm. and, and then I had this very strong reaction of like, maybe it's impossible to do what humans do with language and feeling. Now, I could be wrong about that, and I, I think I'm yeah. that's not what I want. My, my prior is I would like not for robots to be able to write Paradise by Toni Morrison. I, I, I just would not, I think right now, right. I would. I, that's not something I'm looking yeah. forward to. Same. So there's my prior <laughs> on this. But no. as far as I can see, I don't know how an AI that I saw working is going to come up with the first line of they shoot the white girl first. I don't see how. I, I don't, I, I don't, under, I literally don't see how you would do that. Right. You'd have <laughs> to, you'd have spiteful. to have it turn out so many possibilities and pick from them that you might as well just write it your damn selves. Because here's the thing. If you get a thousand first lines that are trying to be artistic and you pick one, well, then that suggests you have the taste to identify it, which means you should have written it. You could have written it. Right? Like, I don't know how we close that loop. <laughs> right. Like, is it, isn't it, is this going to shoot out? It the was a clocks cold, were striking 13. I just don't see how it would. Or it could, 13. but it'd be one of 10,000 possibilities <laughs> that you and yourself would have to evaluate to be the right thing. Right. Right. And yeah. to decide. And if you didn't know that already, line. or you weren't ready to create that yourself, yes. how would you know to select that one? Right. Yeah. Because then it could have been a clear, here, bright right? day in April and the clocks were striking 14. That's meaningfully different. I mean, it, I don't know. It's like, or right, I, I my mother is a fish. I don't, I don't know how <laughs> like, you get from here to there. And out of yeah, and even those those lines in themselves are. I mean, we're talking well, about Morrison but just but yeah, sure. <laughs> but why not? But you, so that's why how you see what the goal is, sure. right? But yeah, those yeah, right, and right, and those lines are remarkable, but not just because they are great lines. It's because yes. they are in the context right. of great works. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and even if an AI could spit out one, two, four with spiteful, or they shoot the white girl mm-hmm. first, or my mother is a fish, it would have to be able to spit out, you know, yeah. what, a hundred thousand other words that are in combinations that are just as creative and interesting and that make sense in context around each other to produce an edifying, enriching mm-hmm. experience of art in some way. That even if you're reading what we would consider to be like a mid-book or like what what might be considered lowbrow or even formulaic genre fiction of some kind, you are trying to have yeah. some kind of experience. And it seems like this can't, the technology can't currently create something that gets you there, that gets you an experience of something <sighs> meaningful. Which I'm glad for. I'm with you. Like I, I hope that one of the things that we learn from this is that there mm-hmm. are things that humans can do. That yeah. Technology Would you can. like to hear four sentences of it? Why don't we do this real quick? Yeah. <laughs> I think um, I have to. Thomas Jones stood in the heart of his laboratory, bathed in the cold fluorescent light that hummed above. It was a sterile space devoid of personal touches, save for the collection of quantum field theory books occupying a corner shelf. A testament to his unwavering dedication. <laughs> 
Thomas had published 10 groundbreaking papers on the subject, unraveling mysteries that had confounded the scientific community for decades. He spent 12 hours a day in his room, sometimes more, fueled by the insatiable desire to understand the universe. Like, like if you don't get it, I don't know what to tell you. Are, are there people that look at that and like, holy crap, Philip K. Dick, I'm coming for the crown. Take my money. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. So there's that. Maybe. Pseudo right, link in the show notes. Not sure not. what else to say. All right, now we're on to the regular news for nine minutes uh, of the rest of this episode. This time, where do you want to go? Any <laughs> Anything you want to hit specifically before we uh, wrap it up? I have... Yeah, I got yeah. two one two that I think we want to hit at least to refer mm-hmm. folks to the full stories. Um, this is the first kind of story like this that I've seen in the years, the, the almost 12 years that we have been doing what we're doing. Penn America and Penguin Random House have joined together to sue a Florida school district over what they are calling unconstitutional book bans. I have seen, I mean this is what Pen America does. They exist to, you know, protect freedom of speech and literary art. Uh, but I've never seen a publisher be involved in this kind of legal action mm. against any entity that's trying to restrict other individuals access to the thing that that business mm-hmm. produces. Um really interesting. They are, you know, they're taking the angle that, which is correct, because the people trying to ban the books are saying it out loud, uh, that the books being targeted for bans are disproportionately by non-white huh, and LGBTQ authors and about themes that relate to, right, that relate to race and the LGBTQ community. So these challenges are openly discriminatory and the restriction and removal of these disproportionately targeted books by or about people of color and or LGBTQ people prescribe an orthodoxy of opinion that violates the first and 14th amendments. That is the argument that they're going to take. They then say that um, the county in Florida is called Escambia County uh, seeks to bar books that critics view as too, quote, woke. In the 70s, schools sought to bar Slaughterhouse-Five and books edited by Langston Hughes. Tomorrow, this is the thing I think is really smart, yeah. it could be books about Christianity, the country's founders, or war heroes. All of these removals run afoul of the First Amendment, which is rightly disinterested in the cause du jour. Uh, I, I don't Nor know do nearly I. enough about constitutional law to guess about how this case will go. I assume that Pen America and PRH have good attorneys who know how to put mm-hmm. together the strongest possible argument for this. I am very encouraged to see it rise to this level and to see a major player in the world of books and reading, the biggest publisher in the United States, take action like this. Get involved in a heated political debate and take a stand. I'm really glad to see I it. was just going to say I, that. We haven't said that in a while. I'm so, see, I'm so glad to see the cavalry come in. <laughs> and maybe it could have happened earlier. I don't know. The wheels of justice and lawyers for multi-billion dollar conglomerates you know, can turn awfully slow. Um, boy, it feels like it's about damn time, but I don't also want to be one of those people. <laughs> so let's cheer them mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Yes. Uh, And then we, because we are the two people that we are, have to mention, I think, that Taika Waititi is apparently going to direct 
an adaptation of Clara and the Sun. <laughs> and I am the like very confused, the confusedest of confused yep. face emojis yep. <laughs> about this combination. Yeah, we're on the same page about this. I like Taika Waititi's work. I also like Ishiguro's work. They do not do seem too. like a hand-in-glove situation to Waititi's very paints with a broad canvas. Yeah. Um, if you've seen Thor, Love and Thunder, or Jojo Rabbit, they have an element of the silly um, and camp even to some degree. And silly and campy, mm-hmm. I think, maybe the last two adjectives I would use to describe the work of one, Kazuro Ishiguro. I guess it's going to be, does Taika Waititi have a curveball as well? We've seen him throw fastballs and sliders. Does he have a curveball in there as well? I'm cheering for it. Not who mm-hmm. I would pick in my draft of directors to try out uh, this one. Yeah, I think I'm going to be nervous about it but I was just saying yesterday in a different context how for the last couple of years I've been completely blown away by the discovery that Bill Hader could produce something like Barry that this like really funny comedic actor has very I like a big dark side and very serious dramatic acting chops that mm. was a talk about a curveball and so maybe i'm i'm just going to hold out hope and possibility here that taiko atiti will have a similar you know, maybe he contains multitudes i really really hope that he does um it's a i mean it's a wonderful book it's my favorite book of the last yes. several years i think yours yeah. too <laughs> and 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 maybe it's his maybe he loves it and has a way in he's a creative interesting mm-hmm. surprising artist um but I, not the headline I expected about a Clara and the Sun yeah, and adaptation. I, again, certainly, we are not adapters, um, though we like both movies and books and TV, and so we're fans. Um, right. I'm not even sure I'd pick Clara the Sun as a necessarily a wonderful candidate to be adapted. It's, I mean, the first what is it? That first section where she's just looking around. May I mean maybe it's like the beginning of Wall-E, where you're finding a robot that doesn't say anything and it's all world building. And I'm sh- Waititi is a very talented person. It's just that we haven't seen him do this before, so you have to go in. You have to go in thinking let's get to be something right. different than he's done. I think <laughs> to get the kind of adaptation that captures what mm-hmm. I enjoy about the book, it could be something that's wonderful and is based on and doesn't harness the same power of Clara and the Sun. And you know, I'm a big fan of just adapted, and it doesn't hurt the original book. What it hurts sometimes is getting the adaptation sure, that's good yeah. or faithful or captures the spirit if you don't do it well. But yeah, or yeah, I was thinking about how yeah you can do a like inspired by adaptation, which Station Eleven was a little closer. The Watchmen mm-hmm. adaptation a few years yeah. ago changed right. a lot of things, introduced a lot of different variables, dropped stuff from the book, brought in new like political variables, new pieces of history and, uh, you know, new, you know, modern hooks for an audience and really felt like an inspired by, by the end of The Mm. Leftovers, it was definitely an inspired by, like the second season of The Leftovers had nothing to do with the book. And maybe it's that, maybe he's going to build a story in this kind of world that is from the sun's point of view. (laughs) But I think of like, I think of his, Waititi's work as like, Maybe, yeah, like his, or the machine, that big, what is she, I can't remember what she calls that big machine, the like roadwork situation, but like 
Waititi is big and colorful and loud in a lot of ways. And Ishiguru is like quiet and restrained. And it's very difficult for me to imagine those two vibes together. But it's totally possible that someone who's as talented as Taika Waititi is that that, that maybe he's got that mode and he's been looking for the way to express it. And Ishiguru is an executive producer on the project. I believe Mm -hmm. him to be pretty exacting about things. I'd be surprised if something horrible, like a horrible adaptation came out. I don't think we're in a Demi Moore Scarlet letter situation here. Um, But I'll be very just interested and curious. Yeah. And I think your your points about Watchmen and Station Love are good ones in this regard. It's like, I felt like tonally, they were of a piece with the source material, even if they took some liberties with that. I mean, Watchmen is, turns out yes, to be more of a direct yeah. sequel to the original mm-hmm. Watchmen um, graphic novel. But tonally, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't too far afield. So you got the cover to play around with. That's where it's the tone would be, you know, novel to me to see from YTD. But if it yeah. goes well, it could be really awesome and surprising and, and wonderful. So. I'm glad to see something happening. I'll be okay. I'll be watching it, but that was a surprise. Um, I think we better end up there, Rebecca. We're running a little bit long. We got another thing to do. We got ten years of podcasting to wrap up in an hour before my one thirty. So we got to we got to cook. We got some work to do here. As always, you can find <laughs> links to all the stories we talked about today at bookriot.com/slash/listen. Shoot us an email podcast at bookriot.com. Check out the Patreon patreon.com/slash/bookriot/podcast and go check out first edition. You can hear me and Rebecca talk about the It Books of May. That episode came out in early of May. Um, our number one pick has not made of much of his impact as I thought. We'll have to come back to that when we're getting ready to go to June. And I really, I mean, one of the my favorite interviews I've done, and I haven't done a whole lot, but it was really great to talk to Coletta Saini, uh, a wonderful person. He has a wonderful story. The, the story of the book itself is fantastic. Um, and I hope to do more of these kinds of Bookographies. If you have an idea for a book that would be especially well suited, <coughs> Da Vinci Code, um, to a bookography, uh, I'm always open to <laughs> ideas as well. Rebecca, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay.